Okay, welcome everyone back to Egeres HaTshuva, the letter about Tshuva, um, the epistle of Tshuva. It's more exciting if it's not the letter of Tshuva, but it's the epistle of Tshuva. Okay. And we are holding over here Perek Ches, the eighth chapter. So last week we learned the seventh chapter, and this week we're going to learn the eighth chapter. What we learned last week is that, um, just a brief recap, because Perek Ches picks up where we left off in Perek Zion, which is the seventh chapter. We learned that the essence of tshuva, it's not just, you know, for a person to be aggravated about the mistakes that they made and then just, you know, try to make themselves a good person. He explained that when a person does a sin, um, he impacts, he or she impacts all of existence. All of life and all of existence is impacted as a result of chas v'shalem, the misdeeds that a person does. And um, they, all the way, all the way up, how much does a person mess up the cosmos it's like Rabbi Freeman this week was showing us on his little on his little talk that he gave on the on the uh, that that it's it's like hacking the entire system. The entire genetic code of existence gets messed up as a result of a sin. So the creatures and beings that are within the system hack the the creatures and the beings. The eighth chapter of Egeres Hachuva, not from the beginning. And the third part of the Tanya, Egeres Achuv, it's on page 194. It's on 194. So um, it, it, the creatures from within the system that God created hacked the very system that created them. Because they think they're independent. It's a whole cool idea. Um, it's worth listening to his class. Um, it's not up on the website yet, but it'll be up tomorrow, Bezrat Hashem. In any case, um, so a person. You know, whether we like it or not, we are far more serious beings than we think we are. We are very, 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 very high. We're plugged in very high. And the things we do have huge impact, massive impact. And primarily, as he explained, what we cause, chas when we sin, is we cause a breakdown in God's name. The place that we impact most is Hashem's latter letter of His name. Even the highest name of Hashem, which is the Tetragrammaton, Hashem Avaya, even that name is impacted. There's a Pagam through our sins. And the Pagam reaches up. Um, primarily it affects the lowest element of the Yud Vavke of the Tetragrammaton, the last and final letter, He. And that's the meaning of, because the, 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 the He is the Shekhinah. That's the divine power within creation, within the world. That's the element of God as he relates to the creation in the most immediate way. That's where he makes contact with the creation. And um, we are the channels of God into the world. Through our souls, godly flow flows to the universe. When we are involved with good stuff, we channel God's flow, the Shekhinah's flow, into that which is good. When we get involved in bad stuff, we don't only get ourselves messed up, 
but we also bring the Shekhinah along with us. Which means we, we kiviyachal, so to speak, if we can say that about God, force God to enliven and to support things that He hates and things that are work against Him. We force God into slavery. In a sense, chas v'shalom, we're selling God into slavery. The Shekhinah gets sold into slavery. So as a person becomes enslaved to the evil, to the evil inclination, so does Hashem become enslaved in lo- along with them. So when we do tshuva, what we're doing is we're, we're returning tashuv hay, return the hay back, return the Shekhinah back to her source, to reconnect to the higher attributes, to the higher sefirot, and that the Shekhinah should be in her place instead of the Shekhinah being misplaced as she's taken into the forces of darkness to enliven them. So restore the Shekhinah, Tashav Hay. And, and that is accomplished on two levels. We bring the Shekhinah back to her place. By doing what? By bringing our soul back to its place. Our Neshama is intrinsically bound up with the Shekhinah. So wherever our Neshama goes, the Shekhinah goes. So when we bring our Neshama back to a good place, what's a good place? To Kedusha. How do we bring our soul back to holiness? When we're following the rules of holiness, and the rules of holiness are spelled out to us in the Torah. Those are the things that God says we ought to do to live within the realm of the holy. What does it mean, the holy? Within the realm of the divine will, what God is pleased of, what Hashem likes. So when we return ourselves back to live within the holy, then we bring the life force of creation also back into the holy. Tashav hey. Tashav hey down here, but how do we do that? How do we do that? How do we change? A person gets, gets just used to and accustomed and involved and sometimes addicted to certain negative behaviors and patterns, and we kind of get stuck. So how do you unstuck it? How do you make that change? It takes tremendous force to uproot oneself. And last week we learned in the, in the, in the Mimer, we learned that not only do we channel energy to the wrong place, but we're actually uprooting our neshama. The entire soul gets uprooted from Kedusha, from holiness, from life, and it enters into the domain of Klippa. Not only does it enter into the domain of Klippa, it's animated, energized, and vitalized to the forces of darkness, which are forces of death. So the person is not breathing living oxygen, the person is breathing poisonous oxygen. Literally death itself. And that's what we learned last week. Is the idea of loha mesim yahalaluka, yahalaluka. The dead cannot praise God. It means the living people that are living a life of death, because living in sin is living death. Uh, it's a it's a very not good place to be in. And the Alter Rebbe explained that it's not only when we do the biggest sins, like a really big big sin, which we can imagine. Oh, that's like cutting ourselves off and entering into the bowels of evil, into the kishkes of evil. And even if a person is not doing the worst kinds of sins, even if a person does minor sins, but he repeats them quite uh, many times, and even if it's only the same one sin that a person repeats many times, he's also cutting himself off from Hashem, because as he explains, that the sin is compared to a cloud. And a big sin is compared to a, th- a thick cloud. A small sin, a minor sin, is considered a thin cloud. So when you put sat clouds or curtains next to the, by your window and it's blocking the sun, 
So we learned last week, you can put a, a, a big partition, a thick curtain, like the hotels, they have these thick curtains, and it's pitch black. But even if you put thin, thin curtains, but if you put many, many, many of them, pile them up, they will make it just as dark, they will block the sun as much as anything as a big sin. So he says every sin, if a person does it many times, there's a great blockage between his neshama and Hashem. And it's not that Hashem wants to chas move away, it's just that Hashem cannot, when something is against God's will, that, that, that is antithetical to God's, to the flow of divine energy. And all we have to do is move the curtains to the side, just move it away. But how do you do that? How do you move it away? So the Rebbe says, it's through two things. It's through two things, and we can change this all in a minute. Mom is changing in a minute. But, you know, in essence you can change it in a minute if something shakes you up in your life. If you have something that gives you a shake up in your life, and you realize, hey, you know what, my life is in the pits. You know, I'm, I think I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of living my life, and I realize that this is, this is horrible. I realize where I am. So, when something tra tragic happens to a person, or whatever it is, a person has a real scare, that suddenly shakes a person's equilibrium and they lose it, their equilibrium, rum. So then they get, uh, you know, they can sometimes, you know, have that 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 movement of tshuva and do tshuva in a moment. But when a person does not have that major shakeup, then you have to shake yourself up, and you can shake yourself up through meditation. And he says, and the meditation is twofold. What is the twofold? One of them is compassion for the neshama and for the shechina. And the other one is a meditation that will bring one person's to um, the deflation of the ego, the crushing of the ego. Two things need to happen. One is one has to extract an neshama. You have to liberate the true you, the real you. You have to re-identify with your higher inner self, which is your neshama. And so you have to re have your neshama resurface and come to the surface from its imprisonment. The neshama has been in a dungeon, it's been blocked. You have to allow the neshama to come out. And how do you do that? But you can't, the neshama can't come out if there's a thick block, which is the ego. What's brought a person to sin? Only ego. When a person thinks he's so important, he thinks he's so special, he thinks he's the greatest gift, to, to, he thinks the great, he, not the greatest gift, because thinking he's a gift is already a recognition of God. He thinks he's God himself. And when a person thinks that that, of himself that way, that ego is what makes him so important that he doesn't care about his mission and his purpose. And what God approves of, all he thinks of is what I want, what I need, what I say is good, what's going to give me pleasure, what's going to make me more popular or known or whatever it is, and, and, and at the expense of anything. It doesn't make a difference what kind of damage, or how I'm ruining the purpose of creating, uh, how, I'm, how I'm destroying myself, my world, and, 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 and frustrating God. All that doesn't make a difference because I want. So it's the I that really is the core of all sins. So we learned last week two things. One has to meditate and feel to they come to a strong sense of compassion for their neshama. And the Rebbe and what exactly is you're meditating on how the neshama comes from, you used last week the Lushan, he says the neshama comes from the greatest heights. From, he calls it Igra uh, Rama, a high roof. A high, the neshama is not stamped as a neshama come from a spiritual world, as a spiritual being, a glowing being, illuminated being, full of light, <clears throat> the neshama is a piece of God. Within the divine, the neshama is rooted in the essence of the divine, all the way up and through the all four letters of the Yud Kevavke, in the deepest places. From that very, very lofty, noble, high, high place, the neshama has come down into this world, which is very, very pitiful for the soul, 
But at least when a neshama comes down in this world, even though it's coming into darkness, just by coming into the physical, and the physical is, God is obscured in the physical. Unless we work hard, Hashem is obscured in the physical. So for the neshama coming into this world is a very, very big fall. But the neshama knows it's for its own benefit. The neshama is excited when it comes down here. Because it knows that even though it's suffocating, it's for a good purpose. Because it will transform darkness to light. It will learn Torah, it will do mitzvahs, which you can only do in the physical world. And through this, two things. It will give a satisfaction for God, make Hashem happy, which it can't do in heaven. Because in heaven the neshama is only a, a beneficiary from Hashem. But it can't give anything back. And the only pleasure Hashem has is when we convert darkness to light. So the neshama knows that that opportunity is only down here. And secondly, the neshama knows as a result of that, it will come to a much deeper union with God, higher than it had before. So because of those reasons, the neshama willfully is willing to go down like a person going into a coal mine. Even though it's stuffy and, and, and dark, not a coal mine, a person goes into mining for gold. Even though it's stuffy and smelly and, and they, they can't breathe well and it's hot or cold or whatever, and they have to suffer tremendously, but they know they're mining gold. So they know what they're going to get of it. So the neshama knows. But when the person comes into this world and, not, and they're not looking for gold, but instead get involved in the filth, and not only that, but they dig f deeper pits and fall into even greater pits than Hashem has put them, and they're not extracting any gold from it, so then the neshama's descent into this world is in vain. And not only that, the neshama was pulled into the klipa. And in a Maimur Hasidis, somewhere else, it says, that's the content of what Yosef says, what the, what the Yosef, that the brothers, the brothers sold Yosef to slavery. So the brothers are confessing amongst themselves, they don't know that Yosef is listening. Because they didn't know that Yosef is Yosef. So when Yosef gave them a hard time, pretending that he was the viceroy of Egypt. All right, Yosef is the viceroy of Egypt. And he is giving them a hard time. And they're wondering, why did God bring this calamity upon them? So they say, we know what it is. They, they realize what it was. They were tzaddikim. They said, if this happened, we must have done something wrong. And they said, we're guilty that we sold our brother. But they don't speak so much about the selling of the brother. What they really speak about is, what really they're guilty about is when they're so, and when, when, when Yosef was pleading to them and begging them, don't do this to me. How can you do this to your brother? He would fall to their feet. He was begging each and every one of them, please save me, don't do this to me. And they so ruthlessly closed their hearts to his pleas and his cries, and they threw him into the pit full of snakes and scorpions. So in Hasidus it says that that's really what the person is doing to his own nisham. The nisham is Yosef. And the body is, 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 is and the person with the ego has the chutzpah to take the soul and to throw the soul into a dark dungeon and dark pit. And it's one thing that you do that in the neshama. But don't, why can't you listen to the cries of the soul? The soul is crying. Every time we do that, the neshama cries bitter tears. It can't stand the thought that chas v'shalem of this horrible abuse. So the soul, please, screams, get me out of shrieking and crying. And, and the person that closes his ears. The reason we close, it's not that we intentionally close our ears. We're so in, 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 entrenched in ego, in fulfillment of own desire, that we don't hear anything but ourselves. We don't hear anything but ourselves. So the, 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 our neshama is crying. So that when a person realizes, so that's what you have to stop. Now in the month of Elul, before Rosh Hashanah, stop and think a little bit. See, tshuva is not stop, I'm bad, I'm becoming good. It doesn't work that way. Real tshuva is coming through a deep, if it's going to be real and permanent and emistic and deep, a person has to go deep inside themselves. And this takes 
seclusion. The Alter Rebbe says, suggests the best time for this is t- midnight, Tikkun Chatzos. And this, by the way, even if you don't do Tikkun Chatzos all year long, and you don't have to do Tikkun Chatzos. It means that during the month of Elul, and I always recommend this, you, you need to get up in the silence of the night. You need to do this, to have moments with God alone. Because it's the only way you clean yourself out in Elul. You know, for me, personally for me, I don't care about Rosh Hashanah davening in Shul. Uh, it doesn't mean anything. I mean, it doesn't mean anything. It's, you have your moments, you daven. But you know, you, 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 what are you doing in Shul Rosh Hashanah? First of all, you enjoy the chazan. You enjoy this nigin, you enjoy this nigin, you enjoy it. Eh? It's a good chazan, not everybody likes the song. And then the this and the that, and then, uh, okay, so yeah. You distract it. So you daven, you get certain parts, you daven, you daven for this, you daven for that. You can't really get very deep because there's too much commotion. The real davening for me is, uh, is always, uh, I have to take time. During Rosh Hashanah, during from now, now as we're getting close, you have to wake up 3 o'clock in the morning. 3 o'clock in the morning or 4 o'clock in the morning. You can be alone. And the easiest thing, you know what? You learn the Tanya, but then besides learning the Tanya, you, you take these themes and you see them in Tehillim. David HaMelech conveys all these ideas. He cries. David HaMelech, the Tehillim is so intense. If you read Tehillim in English, you, know, you see this is real, real intense stuff. It's almost like someone is feeling, someone is crying out that his neshama is being ripped to pieces. You see how David HaMelech sometimes expresses itself with such intense expressions of like, and that's, you have, you think about your neshama, think about how you mistreated your soul. And then you take that further, you think about not only the neshama, but it's the source of the neshama. It's the abish, it's the shekhinah. You've dragged chas v'sham, person realizes I've dragged the shekhinah down. And I've caused the Shekhinah to have, and as much as the Nisham is in pain, the Shekhinah is a much greater pain, because the Shekhinah is infinite and endless, so her pain is endless. So how can I have done that to the Shekhinah? So you feel terrible that you've hurt God. That's what it is. That's, what, that's where tshuva comes from. How can I have done this to you? You've given me life, you give me everything. How can I have hurt you? It's all about the relationship. That's what Chassidus is. It's not about being good or being bad. Forget about yourself. You know, who says you're so important that you have to make a whole tzedre about yourself? If I'm good, if I'm bad. It's not about you. It's about, look what you've done to, your, to the Abishter. How can I have done this to you? Like Rabbi Friedman said, when you're saying al it's not al It's not where you concentrate. It's al lifanecha. It's before you, God. That's the, that's the, that's the thought that you think about. That's, that's what you, you meditate on. And that's the idea. How can I have done this to you? That's one part of it. And then, to smash the ego, he says, you have to make a cheshben an efesh. And because sometimes, you know, this is, you, know, you have rechmanes on your neshama, on your soul. But you also have to feel angry, uh, literally upset, at the, at the ego, at the other side of the person, which is the shell of the human being. It's not your true you. And say, how can you make me crazy like that? How, how, how can you do this? What chutzpah do you have? And even if sometimes, you know, to shatter it, you have to really feel that, you know, because a person generally feels, I mean, we all know, if we mess up badly, we feel bad. But if we're just going through our lives, we kind of feel, you know, I did tzedakah, I daven, I did this, I did this. We pat ourselves on our shoulder. We think we're pretty good. We're pretty okay. If you want to do tshuva, you have to realize not, so how do you do that? So the Zohar says, you have to be mamar the chushbina. Mamar the chushbina means masters of, of, of accounting. So you really go through and very, 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 very scrupulously, is that the word? Yeah, you, you, you analyze your days. You analyze your every day. How many times do we misstep? How many, we do it so many times. We don't even realize how many times we're like, 
Here we forgot to make the bracha. Here we said something. We mumbled something. We didn't even know what we said. There we did. Da, 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 okay. And we just casually, like thing after thing, and 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 and. Little mistakes, but the little mistakes he says adds up to a lot. And he says sometimes another thing we learned last week: sometimes what a person thinks is little is not really little. They think it's minor. It's not minor. You got angry. How many times do we get angry? And we feel justified. We got angry. The sages say you got angry. It's like you bow down to the cross. It's the same. It's, it's bowing down to an idol. Call out kais every time you get angry. You lose it. It's a temper. It's a vodazara. Speak Lashon Hara. Said something in an uncompliment, um, what is the word? Um, derogatory about someone else. Um, what happens then? That's like a person violated all three of the worst sins. They murdered someone, had committed adultery, and idolatry. That person just said something not nice about someone. And we do that from time to time. So how? So that's that's a big one. I mean, people think it's a small one because they were used to doing it, and things like that. So a person has to meditate on these things, and then you can get very bitter at your animal soul, and feel tremendous compassion for your neshama. Once you have those two feelings, here's we begin chapter eight. He says, and 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 now is where you come to the. Just, that's all the preparation to the tshuva. The tshuva is the cry to the abishter, the crying out to God that comes as a result of all of that. You're feeling such pity for your neshama. And you're, cry and, and you're angry at the ego and, and, and smashed it. See? So after a person deepens his thoughts, in all of the above mentioned things, the person is able to request be'emes in truth from the depth of his heart with your abundance of your mercy forgive my sins in other words after a person meditates on all the above thoroughly, deeply to you feel because like, in other words in order to feel compassion you know, to, you know, what happens like this a person is evoking God's compassion who can fix this God can fix it. Are we broke? It's been messed it up already. Hashem can repair it. But you want Hashem to repair it. You have to evoke Hashem's mercy. To have mercy and to gather back your neshama. Take your neshama back in. And to fix all the blemishes that are here in all the, in all the realms. In all the, in all the dimensions. It all has to be repaired. The Ebeshter. So you have to evoke God's compassion. How do you evoke God's compassion? When you feel the compassion. Because the Abishter works with us shadow for shadow, measure for measure. So when we feel the deep compassion to a weeping with bitterness for our own neshama, we're crying for our soul, that evokes divine compassion. So he says, after a person deeply meditates on the above mentioned ideas, so then he can request the MS with truth, because he really means it. Ma'um kudaliba from the depth of his heart. And what does he request? with the abundance of your mercy, with the abundance of your compassion, erase my sins. Where is this taking from? This isn't Tehillim. This is David HaMelech's request for tshuva after David's sin, whatever, the, whatever kind of sin it was. And David cries to God. And he says, 
Meaning, I, I might have messed up so badly, so, so badly, and I did it so many times already, so many times. And therefore, anybody else would have said, you know what, forget it, I had enough with you. How many chances am I going to give you? What's the point? But you, you have an abundance of mercy. And God's abundance, we're going to see later in Tanya, means literally limitless. There's no end to God's mercy. So there's not like something that is too much. And the Amish, because you have abundance of mercy, also means that as much as I feel mercy for my soul, and I understand how much my soul has fallen, I don't really get it. I only get it with my limited brain of how much I understand, even after I learned the Tanya. Even after I learned everything we said earlier, I meditate on it. I'm only getting it, on the, appreciating the depth of the fall, only very, very little. But you, God, you know how high my neshama is. You really know what great the soul is. And you know your truth. And you know the severity of separating from your truth. And you know how dark the klipa is. That I don't know, but you know. And therefore you understand, that's what we say always in Osun HaVasolom, we say, With your mercy, have mercy on us. Because only you know how the big Rahman is on the Neshama. So that's what we say over here, With the abundance and with the, uh, the, of, of your mercy, erase my sins. And you can ask that, you can say that Pasuk, you can say it with truth with honesty, with sincerity, that it's real. You're not just saying, you know, it, it's, it's, it's MS, it's true, it's coming from the core of your heart and the core of your soul. Because really, who are we fooling? We didn't do a tshuva any of them. Do a tshuva, yeah. It's between you and God. God knows if you mean it, you don't mean it. You mean it by MS or not. Right? Other people generally don't get fooled also. Who? A person can fool himself. So one of the big tzaddikim said, oh no, one of the Hasidic saying, they say, God you don't fool. Other people you don't either fool. So who do you fool? You fool yourself. So what's the big kunst to, 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 to fool a fool? You fool a fool. So that's what, So then that's talking about the, the insincere tshuva. Hasidic wants us to have sincere tshuva, emes tshuva, deep tshuva. And this is, we say it with an emes. Ki why are you going to be able to request from the depth of your heart and really mean it? Please, God, forgive the sin. Ki because then tikva beliboy, it will be etched in one's heart. It will permeate one's heart. The ms in truth, goydol harachmanis, the greatness of the of the of the the pitiful state. How great the pitiful state. It is on the divine spark, on the godliness that's in one's neshama that has fallen so low, and also the godliness above that is attached to our neshama, which is the Shekhinah, the hay, the hay tata, the lower hay of God's name, that has fallen down together with my neshama. Like we said before. And when, you, and when you're requesting, that's the, all the Abishter wants is we turn with him, but we have to turn with, we have to, the Abishter is responding. If we ask for his mercy, he gives us mercy. But you have to ask it, MS with truth. Not, 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 from, not, not superficially. You really mean it. And the only way you really mean it is if you feel how you've fallen. You feel how low you've gone and how terrible it is. Then you can ask with MS, with sincerity from the depth of your soul. And when you do that, what happens? And with this, the person will arouse 
Rachmim ha'al yoinim. The person will arouse supernal mercy. He evokes, he stimulates. You're shaking up the heavens. You're shaking up God. Suddenly, Hashem Himself feels tremendous compassion for the soul. And the Abishta says, Nebach, look at that soul withering in pain. Let me pull her out. One evokes supernal compassion. And the Rebbe wants to say how high a person evokes. You're evoking Tshuva reaches the 13 attributes of mercy. So you're evoking, um, which, which is what? Which the 13 attributes of mercy is the highest level of mercy. Hanem is they are drawn from the supernal will. Meaning they emanate from God's level of will, which is a level of keser, of the crown. Why is he emphasizing this? Because there is another asp place of mercy. And that is from the, one of the divine attributes. The Abishtar has an attribute of mercy. There are ten sefirot, ten attributes. And from the ten attributes, three of them are intellectual attributes. Seven of them are emotional attributes. One of the emotions are teferes. Teferes means beauty, but teferes is also compassion. He wants to say that that's not where you're evoking from. You're not stimulating the compassion of teferes. Because the compassion of teferes has some limit, some measure. Because it's already a midah, it's already a sefirah, it's an attribute. It's already God's, as He has already measured Himself to be in a relationship with the world, and therefore He has placed certain limitations on His attributes. That they function within certain parameters, within certain rules, and with certain regulations. And then over there, there can always be a question, is the person worthy for the mercy? Is they not worthy? There's a limit to it. Over here we want to reach infinite and boundless mercy. And that is when we reach the level, the mercy as it is in Ketzer, as it is in the crown, not in the spheros of Atzilis, but the, 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 the attributes as they are in Ketzer, Ketzer is still believable, is infinite. And that's associated with Ratzona Elyon, with the supernal will. Which, as we know, in davening, we find that we say sometimes in davening, especially now, we're going to start saying in the two weeks from now, Rosh Hashanah, Tul Yom Kippur, we're going to speak about Hashem, and we're going to, about God's mercy, and we're going to say, of Micha who is like you? Of Harachamon, compassionate father. Zoche Yitzurov remembers his creations, Lechayim to life, Berachamim with compassion. So we refer to God as compassionate father. We know that on some auspicious times, that's what we do during 10 days of tshuva. From Rosh Hashanah until after Yom Kippur, in the middle of the second blessing of Shemona Esrei, we add that insertion. Micha mocha of Arachamon. But within the, the 10 days of tshuva, there are certain times which are considered extra super auspicious times, like the Musafs of, of Rosh Hashanah, the highest moments, Musaf of Rosh Hashanah, when we just blew shofar, and Shabbos by Mincha, because Shabbos by Mincha time is in general a very, very the highest moments of the week, and last but not least, of course, Yom Kippur by Ne'ilah. So in all those times, instead of saying Micha Mocha of Harachamon, we change it, it's a little nuance, You'll see it in the Siddur, you'll see it in the Machser. We say, Micha Mocha of Harachamim. We change the Rachamon, which is Nun, and we change it for Emem. What is the difference of saying, of Harachamim, 
and saying of harachamun. It's a difference. Compassionate father, compassionate father. But if you think about the translation of the words, it means something completely different. Of harachamun means the compassionate father. Rachamun is descriptive of the av. We have a father. What kind of father is he? He is, he is a compassionate father. Of harachamim means the father of compassion. Not the compassionate father, but rather the father of compassion. Meaning the place from where all compassion emanates from. Which is God's pure, infinite desire to have compassion. You see, once we're dealing with with the, enti- with, the, with the element of compassion, where compassion becomes a thing, there is this reservoir of compassion, then it has a limit. The Abishter is a father, compassionate father, that has a limit. But where God is still the father of everything, He is the father of compassion, it's almost like the creator of compassion over there, that, that, is, the, that is the spring from where compassion comes from. And over there it's an endless, it's an endless source. And that's where we're touching on the Yud Gimel Midas the deepest element. And that's where a person is evoking. It doesn't make a difference who. Any single person, it can be the biggest sinner, the worst Jew Shem can imagine. person did every sin in the world. But any single Jew, if he sincerely asks for that compassion, the Jewish people sinned by the golden calf. And then they sinned by the spies. And God was mad. And yet Moshe Rabbeinu, evoke the compassion and God it's almost like God can't help it if we call for it it's, he just he, he cannot say no if we call for it it never goes it's never it's never um, blocked but it, but it has to come MS. it has to come from the depth of the heart and therefore so this is Amnashach as they are drawn from the supernal will which is hinted to in God's name, there is Yud Kevavke, right? The four letters of God's name. So this level that's called the infinite compassion, the 13 attributes of mercy that are rooted in God's keser, in the crown, that is called, that is, that is hinted to in the Koitz Kutsay Shal Yud. The Yud we know, and we learned already earlier in the Tanya, that the Yud alludes to the attribute of Chachma. Hey alludes to the attribute of Bina. Vav alludes to the six attributes, Chesed, Gevurah, Tferes, Netzachod, Yisoyed. And finally, the latter, Hey is Malchus, is the attribute of kingship. But the Yud is Chachma. But on top of the Yud, there's a little kites, a little arrow, a little thorn, a little crown on the top. That's pointing upward. It's pointing to something that has no, that has no, that you can't define in any definition. See, a letter, what is a letter? A letter means you're already giving some kind of, you're showing something. Why is one letter an aleph and the other one letter a bays and the other one a gimel? We know that all the letters represent various different divine, great divine, godly, godly entities, godly mysteries of mysteries, deep things. But the fact that the letter is, it's this shape, not that shape, is a sign that that, whatever this godly aspect is, it, the character of that space, of that thing, it's, 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 an, it's related to the nature and the form of this letter. So if you understand the way the movement of the letter, from the right to the left, to this to that, you understand the, the, the chemistry, so to speak, of that divine attribute to that divine place. 
But the, this, this, this doesn't have any description. That's the whole point. It's beyond description. It's beyond character. It's beyond all personality. It's from where all character issues forth. And, all dem- and even mercy comes from there. It's endless. It's boundless. And that's why it's hinted to with, the, with a thorn on top of the Yud. You can't even point, you can't even, you can't even indicate it with a dot. Even a dot is too, is too descriptive for it. All you know is that there's something higher. That's all it says. That the dot comes from something higher. And that's the Kutzei Shaliyud. And that's the Keser, the crown. And that's where you evoke Rachamim. Why is it so important for him to speak about that? Okay, where is it coming from? You evoke God's compassion. You evoke God's compassion. He cleans you off. Finish. What else do you need? Why, why is he so important to tell you where it's coming from? It's coming from the Kutzei Shaliyud, from the thorn on top of the Yud. It's very important. Because we're trying to understand how when you're doing tshuva, it's going to fix all the blemishes. And we learned last week when a person sins, he causes tremendous damage in the Shekhinah. Because he pulls the Shekhinah down. But even on the higher, remember we learned last week that there are some sins that are affect the Yud of God's name. And for those sins, one is, is, is as if he's, he ought to be stoned. And when a person does a sin, that he blemishes the hay of God's name. And for that sin, he ought to be chas v'shalom burnt. And then, and then there's another sin that affects the vav of God's name, and therefore it ought to, with the vav, he's, with, with to be, with to be killed by the sword. The latter hay of God's name, and that's, that's for strangulation. So you see, every sin, even small ones, they affect the attributes, affect the various different sefirot, and the various different attributes. So there is a blemish in all the attributes, in the entire name of God. Why? Because the Jews' neshama is a, is, is, is emanates from the attributes. It was because he explained earlier in Tanya, that every Jew's neshama, every single Jew, his neshama is sourced primarily in the Shekhinah, but through the Shekhinah, the neshama is sourced in the higher attributes as well. That's why every Jew has a hay in his neshama, every Jew has a vav in his neshama, every Jew has another hay in a yud. So therefore our actions cause, when you need to fix something, the only way you can fix something is to go beyond the place that has been damaged. And from there, you can draw down a new, it's almost like you're recreating a new Yud Kevavke. The old Yud Kevavke has been punctured. The old Yud Kevavke has been blemished. And there is infections. And there are all kinds of, of a bacteria that have latched itself on like leeches. And they're deriving the energy from the Yudke Vavke. God is literally, the Yudke Vavke has literally been infected. Infected with, 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 with dark, with, with, with negativity. So you need to like, what has to happen is you have to like, um, so to speak, almost like end the Yudke Vavke and draw forth a new Yudke Vavke. And how do you do that? By reaching what's higher than the Yudke Vavke, which is the Kesser. And the Kesser, because it's infinite, and the Ebeshter is still, what's the idea of Kesser over Chachma? Because Hashem is not defined with any definitions, the world can't affect him on that level. Over there he's not, he's not damageable. Over there God is above all effects. He can't be scratched, he can't be affected. So here the blemish doesn't reach. And from, but when we, what does reach is the cry of our Nisham, of our soul, please have mercy on me. That does reach that place. God made the only time He makes Himself be heard on that place is when we cry for mercy. Tshuva, not Torah mitzvahs. Torah mitzvahs don't reach there. Torah mitzvahs reach God as He has already descended into a, and formulated a certain form 
in how he wants to relate to us and how he wants us to engage us and how he wants to connect to us within certain parameters, within certain rules and regulations. We, Torah and Mitzvahs reached the Sefirot, they don't reach beyond the Sefirot. However, Tshuva reaches beyond the Sefirot. Because Tshuva, through this powerful cry of the Neshama, you reach to God's very essence itself, and that's why he emphasizes the Kutzay Shal Yud, the thorn above the Yud. And from there you elicit a whole new energy. And what does it do? One of the two things, either it flows, it flushes out all the murky waters, everything that has gotten contaminated and, and, and infected by this, everything is flushed out and you have a whole new flow of energy and everything is revitalized and everything is healthy again, up there above. Or we can say, it mamish just emanates a new, a new, a new yud kevavka. You recreate the universe. You recreate the, 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 the attributes from totally from new. From where? From the point of origination, which is the point of the Yud Kevavke. As he says, Anirmaz, it is hinted to Bikutsay Shal Yud in the thorn of the Yud. And what he says, Shalamaila Maila, it is above, above, two times above. We'll see later in the, in the end of the class today why the Alter Rebbe says not only it's above the Yud, it's Maila Maila, it's above, above the Yud, twice above. It's much higher than the influence that is influenced from the letters themselves. The letters themselves are also have incredible power. I mean, these are divine attributes that are one with God Himself. They sustain the universe. It's these attributes. God created the world through the name Yudke Vavke. It's very powerful, infinite, endlessly powerful. Yet, when we, can, when we draw energy, when we do tshuva, we draw energy from place way, way above, above, above the Shema Vayim. In other words, one hour in, during Aseris Yemei Tshuva, during the month of Elul, can bring down more vitality than your entire, all your mitzvahs you did all year long. All the Torah and all the mitzvahs you've done, one hour of intense tshuva, because you're touching a vitality and an energy that, is, that has such a potency and such a power that, that all the attributes are, 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 are pale comparison to it, are nothing compared to it. And from there, oh, but what's the idea? The idea is you can't maintain a relationship with God on that level. That's only a place where you reboot. You go there, you reboot, but then you have to work through the system. Which means, what do you do then? You commit yourself. Now that I've refreshed everything, I'm t I I'm now I can get back into the program of life, and God tells us what the program of life. We don't change God's will. Of He says, you know what, you know what, you don't care about film, I don't care about film anymore. anymore. Let's just be friends without filling. Right? Or God says, you know what, you don't, you don't like Shabbos that much? You're, it's not so important to you? Hey, you know what, it won't be so important to me. Let's just be friends. Even though you don't care about Shabbat, or you don't care about kosher, you like it. doesn't work that way. No. And my rules are my rules. This is very meaningful to me. But, uh, but we're connected in a place deeper than all of this. So therefore, now that you realize the depth of your connection, shouldn't you care about what, what is important to me? That's the idea. Shouldn't you care about what's important to me? If you realize how deeply connected you are to me, so these things are important to me, God says. Shabbos is important to me. Tefillin is important to me. And kosher is important to me. And all these things. Family purity is important to me. This is important to me. That is important to me. All these things. And therefore, and the person says, you know, I really feel that. And I want to, let's start all over again with a new commitment. And that's how you fix it all. 
and therefore, because yeah, and therefore the thirteen attributes of mercy, menakim they cleanse kol hapigamim, all the blemishes which happened in the yud kevavke, in all the divine channels. There were blemishes which were punctures, holes, or whatever else happened as a result, cuts and bruises that happened in the supernal man in the yud kevavke as we injure chas we injure Hashem. Now it all is healed. Everything is brought healing. Like it says in the Pasuk, that the, one of the 13 attributes of mercy, what does it say in the 13 attributes of mercy? Hashem forgives the sin. Avain means um, in, uh, uh, intentional sins. Pasha means rebellious and rebellious sins. Even if you're doing them rebelliously, and it cleans them. It's not Stam, Hashem forgives them. It's one thing to forgive. It's one thing to forgive. Say, you know what? I forgive you. You hurt me. Hashem says, look, I have a band-aid. I have a bruise. You hurt me. But you know what? I forgive you. I forgive you. That's not enough. The, the 13 attributes of mercy actually say Hashem forgives. Venake and it cleans the wound, removes the wound and makes it heal again. Both above in the supernal attributes and down here in a person's neshama. It completely revamps your soul. And completely, you're a newborn person. You're a new neshama. Without any injury, without any, any, any klipa latched on, everything falls away. And that's what he continues over here. Once all the blemishes and all the cuts and the bruises have been healed, and all the punctures that Chas Shalom were punctured in the Sefirot and the attributes. Primarily, where is the biggest injury? In the part of, the, of God that is the most involved in us, which is the Shekhinah. And that's where the Chitzonim, we said earlier, that's where the extraneous forces, the forces of unholiness, the spiritual forces of evil that are the source of all the dark forces of, 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 of horror in this world. What do you think? Where do you think they're, they're, they're empowered? All these terrorists and groups and things. They're empowered by these spiritual forces. And these spiritual forces get their vitality from where? From the Shekhinah, as they attack the Shekhinah. And literally, they're, they're drawing blood from the Shekhinah. So now what happens, however, when a, once we bring in the 13 attributes of mercy, which fills and brings healing to all the blemishes, so now the Klippa can't de derive energy because they can only come where there is a leak, where there is a hole in the pipe. And when there's leaking, they can come. But through the pipes, they can't take, because they're not meant to take. So v'shuv, and then afterwards what happens? So the extraneous forces don't anymore, are not deriving any more energy. And the other side, from the influence of the lower hay, as we said earlier, which they have as a result of a person's sins. They were taking extra vitality, but now they're not taking anymore. Because they've been, they've been, they've been, they're, 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 we've cleansed and, 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 and healed all the pagamim. And when once that happens, okay, so now that the hey tata shakes herself off from all the klipa, she's disinfected, and the lice are removed, and the parasites are removed, and everything is off her, now she's ready to be reunited with her husband. So two things happen. Number one, there is a disc. There is a removing of what is negative and impure from the Shekhinah. Secondly, now 
the Shekhinah can not only be Shekhinah, which that itself is a good thing, that the Shekhinah is not leaking, the Shekhinah is not empowering, giving, sustaining, and she's not in exile. Okay, not being in exile is one thing, but not only that, she moves back in with her husband, which means she has a deeper union with the higher Sefirot, with the higher attributes, thereby channeling greater vitality and higher godly light into the world. And she herself is much closer to her source. And God is happy, the Shekhinah is happy, the divine union has been completed. And that's the idea of Teshuvah, bring the hay back to her source. As long as the Klippas are on her, the, God is, the HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't unify with her. Because if he's going to give her energy, if he's going to unify with her, and all that energy is going to leak in the Klippa, Klippa is going to get, God forbid, horrible energy. And we once spoke a whole shir, why, why a man is not allowed to have relations with a woman during Nida, during menstruation. Because the woman is the Shekhinah. The woman is Malchus. And during the time that, she's men, that, she has, that she has menstruation, what's happening is, is that's relating to the idea that comes from the sin of Chava. It's relating that the Shekhinah gives energy to the Klippot. Gives blood, life. Blood could have been created a child. She could have made a child. Which means in essence she could have created something of... Instead, so what happens? The blood just goes out. And that's life. Blood is life to the Klippot. If the man has relationship with her during that time, he's pumping a higher energy into her, and what is she doing with it? She's giving that to the klipa. And that's, God forbid, a terrible, terrible thing. So that's why it's forbidden. Now, um, this, this is the same idea. The Abishter cannot unify with the Shekhinah when the Shekhinah is trapped in the klipas. But once we remove all the klipas, and we, 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 we clean the Shekhinah off from all these these uh, parasitical whatever entities, and she's healthy again, so to speak, then she can go back to be unified with her husband. And with this, the lower hay will go back to her place, to become unified, with the yud and the k and the vav, the dila maven. And it is enough to that for those who understand. And this is all as a result. You can do all of this. Imagine what we, how powerful we are. In one hour in the middle of the night, you wake up, you meditate about this, come to a state of feeling really bad for your neshama, and you weep for your neshama or cry out. In it. Some people are easier to cry. Some people don't cry easily. It doesn't have to be a cry. Just feel mercy and compassion for your neshama. You evoke divine compassion and everything changes. And just like it is above, the same, this is all speaking how, this, how the tshuva affects what? The shekhinah up there. But as it happens up there, the same thing happens in the soul down here. Benefeshali kiss in the godly soul, Sheba Adam, that's in the person. Shuv ein avonei seichem avdilim. Similar to what happens to the shekhinah. What happens to the shekhinah? Two things. Number one, the klipas fall away. Because the 13, why did the klipas fall away? Because the 13 attributes come and fill all the blemishes. They patch up anything that needed patching. They close all the wounds. And then, because they, why? Because they're coming from a place beyond the wounds, from the infinite light of God where, where there is no, right? And that can come and clean and fix everything. When you draw that down into the Shekhinah and into the, all the other names, all the other letters of God's name, which is the, all the Sephirot, you clean everything, number one. So once you fix the wounds, then the Chitzonim go away. The forces of unholiness go away. And then last, what happens now? She can unify with her source. So similar to that is the same as also with the nefesh, with the soul. The, the 13, the, when we're doing tshuva, we're evoking the 13 attributes, it's removing all the damaged 
elements in the neshama. It's healing the neshama from where it has been damaged. In our case, it means all the barriers from the klipa that are interfering and blocking the neshama's union with God. We said earlier, remember we said it's like, like the neshama is like, um, becomes the, 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 the sins are like uh, clouds that block between the sunlight reaching the soul. The neshama is not, not receiving divine, divine influence, godly light, godly radiance. Hashem is not shining upon the neshama because the person put up their own barriers, their own walls. So now you have to remove that klipa diget, those filth, as he's going to refer to now, he's going to refer to it as filthy garments that, having, that a person puts on his neshama. So this has to be removed. And once it's removed, then the neshama can return back to a union with Hashem. But as we're going to see now, once it turns back, it doesn't just turn back to where it was before it sinned. Now it's time to get, to go back, but to go back much, much deeper and much, much higher than Neshama had even before it ever sinned. And that's where you're going to get the gain of the Balchuva over the Tzad. Because once it goes back, go back all the way. Don't just go back to where you were before, but go back even higher than you were before. As he's explained, and that's already where the tshuva tata, where the lower tshuva, begins to lead us into the higher tshuva. As he's going to explain now. Because remember we said there's two levels of tshuva, the lower tshuva and the higher tshuva. So now in, this, in the next couple of lines, he's going to do that, that, that transition from the lower tshuva into the higher tshuva. And let's see how that works. So this is, the same literally below, beneficial kiss in the godly soul. Sheba Adam and the person, Shuv Ein Avaniseichem Avdilim. The sins are no more separating. Like remember we said earlier, the, the mashal of either like a rope that gets cut, or like a Hashem blowing. Remember we learned that one of the mashals he gave was Hashem blowing and the breath gets, gets interfered when you, when you put something between the breath. The blower and the one that's blowing, Hashem blows the neshama constantly into the person. If we put a thing, we're interfering with that flow of air coming from Hashem's mouth into our neshama. Or the last thing was the light of the sun that gets blocked with the, with the, with the clouds. All these examples. That's all related to the idea, your sins separate. How do you know that, that when, when you're doing tshuva, those separations, those barriers go away? You're taking down the barriers. As it says, He cleans. Hashem cleans those who repent, those who do tshuva. He cleans, meaning He removes that which is blocking. To wash. And to cleanse. To purify, to cleanse their souls. From the filthy garments these are the extraneous forces that a person has garbed himself in them as long as a person is in a sinful state of mind. Like the Gemara says, the Gemara says when a person does a sin, the sin wraps itself around the person, encloses the person, and goes along with him. It's not like you do a sin and the sin is over. A person does a sin and the sin is now attached like a like a, uh, when you um, like a uh, like a tick, person goes hiking, and they're not careful. They get a tick. What happens to that tick? The tick, unless you take it off, the tick sits there, and chasrashalim can bring to not, not 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 to an illness. Same as any sin, it just latches itself onto the person, and that's why usually when we sin, and we wonder why, like we're not in the mood later of doing a mitzvah, we're not really inspired to bench, we're really not really into this, not into that. The reason is because we don't feel God. Once you feel God, as you pile, the, because you have this, this malafa facade, this, this klipa, that's now sitting and encircling and encompassing the soul. 
So the neshama doesn't feel Hashem because its, its sensors are blocked with klipa. So what does Hashem do? But Hashem is now all these stuff that got stuck on us during the year as it comes before Rosh Hashanah and we do tshuva, so we, un, we, we throw these things off and now it's removed. And then and after, so after, however, that a spirit has now come across. What's the spirit? A wind has blown. A wind has come. What's this wind? This is the wind of the 13 attributes of mercy that a person has evoked this great godly wind. This ruach comes down from God, which is the wind of the mercy that comes blowing on the person. And what does it do? V'tetahare. And it purifies the soul. This is a lashon from Job, from Eov. Which over there the Pasuk is talking about when you have a cloudy sky. The cloud, some, the, 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 the sky is full of clouds and you don't see the sun. Suddenly uh, the wind starts blowing and blows the clouds away. And again, what do you have? A blue sky. So that's the story over here. A person can have many dark clouds above them blocking that they can't sense Hashem. They don't feel the closeness. They don't feel the intimacy, the connection, the love. Nothing, because it's blocked. But then when they do tshuva, they draw forth this massive wind. And the wind blows all the clouds away and it becomes a clear sky. Now they can see Hashem again. The neshama can feel the warmth of God's light as it's, as it's, as it's glowing on their neshama. Azai tu chal nafsham. And then after that happens, Azai tu chal nafsham mamish. So then the neshama is able to turn back to Hashem, literally. Because now there's no muklipa. Once there's no muklipa, just like by the Shechina we said, once the klipas are not latched on anymore, she's able to return to her husband. So to the neshama, after the klipas have been removed, the neshama is able to return to God, mamish, ulalois maila maila. And the neshama is able to ascend higher and higher, lemakaira to her source, and to cleave to God in a wondrous unity. Here already is where he's beginning to make the transition into the next level of tshuva. The first level of tshuva is uprooting oneself from the, from the trenches, being stuck in the darkness, being stuck in the muck, shaking yourself off from that, cleaning yourself off, and coming back to being to innocence. Coming back to purity. But that's one thing, now you're innocent, you're pure. But now comes the next level of tshuva. And that is climb up and immerse yourself into God. Completely submerge yourself into Hashem till you can't see where you are anymore. Because you're completely subsumed in the infinite light. And you don't even know that you're there because you're just so much one with your source. How much are you one with your source? This is what he's going to say now. You become so unified with your source as a result of the next tshuva that we do, the next stage. And that is the intensification of unity with Hashem to the point where the neshama becomes reunited with God as the neshama was before God ever blew the neshama. Out. We learned to Marshall, it says in the Pasuk, when God created the soul, it says, Vayipach ba'apav nishmas chayim. Hashem blew into his nostrils the soul of life. And we spoke till now how great that breath is. That breath is coming from the innermost of God. When you, it's like the difference between speech, remember we learned earlier? Between speech and blowing. When you speech, you give out external breath, you don't get tired. 
When you blow, you blow, you're blowing yourself out. Who you are, that's what you're blowing out. When God created the neshama or emerged the neshama, Hashem took His entire essence of who He is and He blew it out. So the neshama is amazingly great. But yet, when you blow, when you blow air, what happens to that air? It leaves you. It goes outside of you. And the ear becomes something other than you. You can blow it into a tube. You can blow it into a balloon. And you are you, and the balloon is the balloon. It has your ear inside of it, but it is a separate entity. So too, when the Avish said, good, let's say a tzaddik, perfect tzaddik. Hashem created the... He never sins. But yet, he's still a somebody. He's not the Avish, he's not God. God, he has a, he has a, self, he has a consciousness of self. He, he loves God, he fears God, he's excited to do God's will, and he never messes up, but yet he's a somebody. But what happened, what's the story with God's breath before he ever blew it? Think about it. Before, your, the, 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 the breath that you're going to, the breath that you're going to blow tomorrow, that you're, granddaughter or grandson is going to ask you to blow up their tube because they want to go in the pool. Where is that breath today? Is there you and your breath? Or that's you. There's nothing else but you. And that breath is just who you are. It's your breath of life. Once you blow it out, you blow it out. So the same is with the neshama. Once the Abishta created the neshama, sent the neshama down, the neshama is a neshama. But there was once upon a time where the soul was just embedded in the infinite light of God. Just, just... It is Hashem. There's nothing else but Hashem. And here's what the Alter Rebbe say. When you're doing tshuva, you have to bring your neshama back to a union with God as it was before God ever took the neshama out from his breath, from his, ever, ever blew it out. You say, how is that possible? No, while you're alive in a body. Not the God's neshama person's neshama has to go back up. While you're alive in a body. While the neshama is in a body, it becomes so unified with its source like before it was ever blown. That's the ultimate tshuva. Returning completely into, into oneness. Tshuva love, the highest, the higher tshuva. Returning, how do you do that? How do you do that and stay alive? You can explain. Well, what that is. You can, you can live that way. And that's the life of the Baal tshuva. He continues to live that way all his life. And that state of union with Hashem. But let's see. Now the neshama can become unified with God, with a wondrous unity. Just like the neshama was unified with Hashem, with the ultimate of unification. Before Hashem ever exhaled the neshama and blew it in, laid a lamata for the neshama to go down below ule hislambish begufa adam and to becoming clothed in the human body. And he gives the example. Just like a person who blows beruach piv with the breath of his mouth. Before the breath goes out of his mouth, it's completely one with his soul. The same way the neshama was once unified with God before Hashem ever created the neshama. And the Baal Tshuva and his Tshuva Yilah and the higher Tshuva restores his neshama to that union and to that oneness. V'zuhi Tshuva Shalema. And this is perfect Tshuva. This is the perfect Tshuva. This is a complete Tshuva. Until now it's incomplete. This is complete Tshuva. 
Now this yichud, this unification, the tshuvazu and this tshuva, who pchinas tshuva ilah, this is considered the higher tshuva, shalachar tshuva tato, which is after the lower tshuva. The first lower tshuva, the aspect of lower tshuva is, how could I have separated myself from Hashem? I need to go back to obedience. But when you're going back to obedience, what are you saying? I am me, God, you're God. You're my king, I'm your subject. We are two separate entities. You're the Abishter, you're my God, and I'm... That's why it relates to the lower hay of God's name. Because the lower hay of God's name is where God, so to speak, plays this game of being the creator and where is creation. So we return back, but when we sin, we remove, the, and according to Hasidus, the real, the evil of sin, the root of all sin is, is not what you did. That's not the root of sin. The root of sin is I did this, I did that, that that's, that's all secondary, nothing important. The one important is one thing, you didn't listen. You remove the yoke, it's, it's, about, it's a question of identity. Who are you, well, who am I as a person? Do I see myself as God is the authority of my life? Because God is my king, I'm a subject, I'm a servant. When a person sins, they remove the yoke of heaven. They say, I'm an independent being. So chuvetatam means returning back to servitude. You're my king and I'm your subject. But then comes the next chuva. The next chuva is going back the level of, going past the level of malchutz, where God is a king. You're reaching into the levels of God where God is the only reality. There's no creation. There's only Hashem. In order to go there, you have to lose yourself into Hashem. You can't be anymore a somebody who is obedient to Hashem. Your identity has to become Hashem. And that's the full, you, know, you become God. You become unified with Hashem. You stop being you. You hollow yourself. Oh, how, did, how is that done? So, and this tshuva, this is the higher tshuva. Which comes after the lower tshuva. As it is stated in the Zohar, in the section called Reya Mehemna Parshas Nasai, the tshuva ilah, that the higher tshuva means, the person learns Torah, he studies Torah, but in a manner with. The person can study Torah and just be full of himself. I'm not talking about that. He says, you're studying Torah. We're talking about a Balchuva. He only wants us to get close to God. So he's studying Torah with the desire of what? With love of Hashem and fear of God. With love and awe. Why dafka Torah study? And he's emphasizing Torah study primarily, not even mitzvah observance. But dafka's Torah study. There's something very unique about Torah study over mitzvahs. Mitzvah, the very definition of a mitzvah is but mitzvah, mitzvah means a commandment. In the command, if there is a commandment, means there is someone who is commanding, and there was someone who is commanded. So when I'm doing a mitzvah, I'm essentially making a statement. I am me. I'm a somebody. I exist. God, you're the authority over me, and I am submitting myself to your authority, and I'm doing your will. So I, I haven't transcended in a mitzvah. I haven't transcended the the creation. I'm still within the creation. Not only that, I cannot do the mitzvah if I ascend to the creation level, because then it's not a mitzvah anymore. If I'm doing the mitzvah in a manner, now there are tzaddikim who do a mitzvah that way. They don't do the mitzvah because someone commands them to do the mitzvah. They do the mitzvah 
naturally, it's their body does the mitzvah by its own. Why? Because God does the mitzvahs. So as a, as a result of Hashem doing that, they also do it. It's like I mentioned this week about Moshe Rabbeinu. The Abishter forgets the, 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 the 1775 years, and Moshe Rabbeinu, because he's plugged into God, so if Hashem forgets, he forgets the 1775. It's not like he was going to do something because Hashem commanded him to do it, or a mitzvah. It happens automatically. Like the difference of the Hasidim would tell the story. There was a big chassid, Rabbi Hillel Parich. Rabbi Hillel Parichur was great, the greatest Chabad Hasidim in, in all of Chabad history, and the ultimate chassid. And he would go to sleep every Friday afternoon. And the reason he would go to sleep, because in Kabbalah it says that Friday afternoon there is a there is a nap, that is nap time. There is a cosmic nap time. And God also, it's the sh up there in heaven, it's also a time of sleep. So people that are aligned themselves completely with the, with the energies of creation so, and, the, and, the higher, and the higher powers, so he would go to sleep. But they said, so what's the difference between Rabbi Hillel Parachur and the Tzemach Tzedek? The Tzemach Tzedek was the Rebbe. Is the Tzemach Tzedek would fall asleep. And Rabbi Hillel Parachur would go to sleep. It's a big difference. Going to sleep means, I know, it says in Kabbalah, now it's time to go to sleep, and, and I want to do what, what, so I'm doing it. We have other things that we do on Friday. <laughs> and he is, I mean, going, even if we go to sleep for other reasons, but he's going to sleep only because that's, the whole week he didn't sleep. Friday he sleeps because this is the time that there's a sleep above, but he's going to sleep. The Tzemach Tzedek would fall asleep because if that's what, what's happening above, it automatically happens below. There is, so there is such a kind of mitzvah observance where your mitzvahs are just expression of God's mitzvahs. But then it's not really called mitzvah. Because the very definition of mitzvah means it's a commandment. And then that person, he's outside of the zone of being commanded because to him, he's no, there's no one there to be who's being commanded. He's living in such a tzaddik, a real tzaddik. He's living in such divine consciousness that God is the only reality that... Who is the one he's commanding? Who's that? There's no one there to be commanded. So he's, mitzvahs are being performed. They're being performed almost like an extension of God performing them through his limbs. That, 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 but that's not the general notion of mitzvahs. Hashem doesn't want us to be there. He wants a selected few people to be there just that we should see that something like that exists. But that's not for most of us. Most of us, God wants us to live in space that we call our space, which leads us, gives us existence. And over here, God wants us to bend and to yield to His will, and that gives Him satisfaction. And that's the mitzvah. So when, you, when you're doing mitzvahs, you're still acknowledging your own existence. You have to acknowledge your own existence. But in Torah study, you can, it's the one time that even us, we can ascend past the creation um, um, consciousness and enter into pure divine consciousness. Because what's Torah? Torah is not God commanding anything. Torah is Hashem's, Hashem's thoughts. These are, this is Hashem's wisdom, this is Hashem's will, this is Hashem's ideas. So usually when we're learning, when we learn, we're conscious of ourselves, and we're going to learn what, what does God say? What are God's thoughts? But a person can get themselves into Torah study to a point so deeply that they forget that they're existing, and they're just almost, they hollow out their mind, and their mind sort of becomes just it's almost like it's, it's, it's God's machshav, it's God's thoughts are now, are now passing through their brain. And when the person is saying the words of Torah, they're not quoting what God says. There's no quoting. They're channeling. They're channeling. Hashem is speaking. Hashem is saying. They're saying, so if this yankel takes this, 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 he's chayev, and he's potted, that's, that's God decreeing that. God says that. And they're not there. There's total self-effacement. 
They're not there because they've melted into Hashem. And now, because what, what, what makes us our identity? The fact that I'm thinking what's, what's important to me. I'm thinking what's, you know, the bills I have to pay. You know, I'm getting hungry, so I'm thinking what I'm going to have for lunch. I'm a little tired. I was, I forgot to call this person. I have to do this. I have to do that. I have to, I have to go pick up my daughter from carpool. I have to do this. All the things that we have. Not bad things. Stuff is things that we do. It's, it's our business. Our stuff. But when a person learns Torah, especially if you're learning for three, four hours, and you're really immersed in what you're learning, you, you, you exited yourself. You're not, in, you're not busy with your stuff, especially if you shut your phone down, there's nothing there, there's no one, you're just learning. Nothing else exists. At this point, you, you, you're, you're, just, you're just a keli, a vessel for God's wisdom, and God's mind, and God's ideas, and your mouth is just an expressor of God's will. That's why the sages say, like Ben Moshe Rabbeinu is the ultimate example of this, Moshe wasn't quoting God when he, when he said the Torah. Moshe was channeling Hashem. That's why Moshe says many times, I will give grass to your animals. When Asati Esav, he says, I will give grass. I will give? No, God will give. But he doesn't have to say God will give because he, when he's speaking, it's Hashem speaking through him. And the sages also say another thing. That man malka rabbana, that rabbana are called the king. The rabbis, the sages are called the king. And that they, they have the ability to decree. When they decree that halacha, they're like the king issuing an edict. And, and the world has to comply. And that's why the sages say that when the rabbis decree, there are certain times when the rabbis said a certain halacha and they change the nature of the world. The Gemara gives an interesting uh, uh, an example of a girl a little girl, a whole story that the Gemara says that the, the, the Chachamim are, have control over nature and they can reverse nature. Why? Because just like God can reverse nature, they can reverse nature. Because they are, they're the king. So what do you mean they're the king? There's only one king, only God is the king. And the answer is when you're learning Torah in the way you're supposed to learn Torah, when you learn Torah with love and fear of God, like he's describing over here, meaning you want to attach yourself to him. Now, in the beginning, you want to attach. You're still conscious of yourself. I want to, and I'm afraid. But after, once you want to, and you start learning, you reach a point where you don't realize that you want to be attached. You're just attached. There's no you anymore. And then the words that are going through your mouth are not you speaking anymore. It's Hashem speaking through you. Like it happened with the Beis Yosef on Shavuos by night, when the people suddenly heard the voice of different... It wasn't even his voice. When they heard this powerful voice speaking through the... Mouth of the Beis Yosef. And the Shekhinah was speaking through him. Total identification, total unification with, with Hashem as Hashem is channeling. That is the reason why, how can we be alive in a body and become unified with God like our Neshama was before it was ever blown out? The only way to do that, and so we said that's the meaning of Chuvilah. Chuvilah is bringing yourself back, not just returning to being a innocent creation. Returning to total union with Hashem. But to return to a total union with Hashem, how do you do that? You're, you're a, and even if you're doing mitzvahs, it's you doing mitzvahs. So the Zohar says, after you do tshuva, the only thing you want is now to study Torah. And you immerse yourself in Torah study with such... And, and, and the Baal Tshuva is doing it because he has to compensate. Because he feels so distant and far, he wants to come close. And he's yearning for closeness. So he's excited so much about this union, unity, and he leaves go, and he lets go of his or herself, 
And suddenly he's not him as herself anymore. He's just an extension or part of included in God's in Hashem himself. And his neshama is back where it was. His or her neshama is back where it was before it was ever blown. We don't know where God with the neshama, where God ends and the neshama begins, because it's one seamless, once what is the word seamless oneness. Without any even even trace of beingness while they're learning Torah. The person should learn Torah. And that is related to, remember we said that the higher tshuva is related to the higher hay. The lower tshuva is related to the lower hay. The higher tshuva is tashuv hay ilah. The ihu bina, what's the higher tshuva? Bina. So the Zohar says the ihu ben yutke. That's, the, the Zohar says that the word Dibina comes from the word Ben and then a Yud K. So because the Bina is Ben Yud K, Bina. What does that mean? Why is it Ben Yud K? Because Yud K is intellectual. Chachma and Bina. Yud and He. Chachma and Bina together are the, are the, are the, are the divine attributes of Chachma. Right? Now, when you're learning Torah, you're obviously connected to the Yud K of God because that's where the Torah comes from. But he said more than that, it's not just you're learning Torah, but you're learning Torah with love and awe. So that's called the children of Yudke, because the emotions are the children of the intellect. So when you're learning Torah in this manner, that's Ben Yudke, and that's the ultimate tush of hay, returning the hay in the upper hay. You've returned into the hay of Hashem, returned into total oneness and assimilation into God. And now he concludes, Umaylas bali tshuva al tzadikim gemurim what is the quality of the Balchuva over perfect tzaddikim? L'chayr, this is something that a tzaddik can also do. You don't have to sin first and go and do tshuva. A tzaddik who never sinned can also say, I don't want to be separated. I also want to learn Torah. And I want to learn Torah and I want to bring my neshama back to union with God just like my neshama was before it ever, before it ever got separated. So you don't need it. So why is, this, why is this, this whole project, the second project that he's talking about over here, Going beyond being back to square one, a good neshamala in this world. You're raising yourself up higher than being a good neshama. You want to stop being a neshama. You just want to become one with Hashem. Well, that's something that's not a project of tshuva dafka. That, every, that, that, that relates to a tzaddik too. A tzaddik was also created to become a somebody. He comes into this world, he becomes a creation. He too needs to return his neshama to Hashem. So why are we making say, this is a bal tshuva. He does first, he does tshuva. Comes back to innocence, and then he takes it a step further and goes back and becomes unified with God. It has nothing to do with tshuva. This is the, this is, this, this is, all Jews should do this, whether you sinned or you didn't sin. So that's why he's concluding. The bal true, a tzaddik can also do this. But when the bal tshuva does it, he becomes unified with God in a much deeper way than the tzaddik. And that's what it means when the place where Balchuva stand, the tzaddik and why? Because what's the main idea over here? You want to become one. And the Balchuva wants to become one with a greater desperation than the tzaddik. Because the tzaddik never felt what it means to be distant. So to him, he's always in close, cloudy proximity. So even though he wants to come closer, but he's not running away from darkness. The Balchuva has a very dark past. And he's escaping the darkness. And therefore his thirst, his or her thirst and longing for unity with God is so much stronger than anybody else. And therefore when they learn Torah with that desire, 
It's mir'usa deliba. It's from the burning of their heart, from the depth of their, the will of their heart, the will of their soul, which is deeper than ordinary emotions. It's a very deep place within them. In what sense is the Balchuva higher than the Tzaddik, the perfect Tzaddik? As it is stated in the Zohar, these are the, they pull, they pull Hashem down with yearning of the heart, yatir, with a greater yearning of the heart, with a greater desire of the heart, and with greater koach, with greater intensity, to get close to the king. And because they have a deeper desire, so they, when they merge with Hashem, it is with a deeper emergence. They get further etched in to the Ein Sof and totally unified with God. And this is the complete tshuva, as the Alter Rebbe sees it. Higher tshuva, perfect tshuva. Now there's a lot, a lot, a lot of nuances on this chapter. A lot of deep, rich ideas that I didn't explain on purposely, because I didn't want to lose the flow of the parak and getting into explaining tiny little, very, very amazing, deeper ideas that you get by carefully analyzing the words, which I usually have been doing in the earlier classes. I didn't do it today because I wanted to finish the idea. And, but there's a lot to do, and it probably would take another, I'm very exhausted. So I decided that uh, I think I'd made that decision during this year, that I'm going to leave that for uh, next week, before we begin chapter 9, we're going to talk about some aspects of what the Altar Rebbe said over here, and to clarify it and get a deeper understanding of what we learned. So, Be'ezus Hashem, next week, Thursday night, your last chance before of this year to learn Egeris HaTshuva. And we can learn after that. It will be right next year. All right.